Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com on the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. Discussion. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. You can also find this podcast on iTunes or at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. Today we sit down with a gentleman by the name of Tony who operates a blog at reconverted.org. Tony was a member of the church, grew up in the church, but battled pornography starting at the age of seven. His journey took him out of the church, provided lots of challenges and trials, lots of hardship. As Tony tells his story, though, might you be mindful of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I hope you'll enjoy this opportunity to hear about one of God's prodigal children. Now we go to our interview with Tony. Tony, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you doing today? Doing very good, thank you. Good, sir. Um, the reason we're having this interview today for my listeners so that they get a little bit of an understanding, I was asked by another listener to approach Tony, who has a blog at reconverted.org, and to get his story. Tony's story is one of, of leaving the church and coming back, which I always find to be a blessing uh, to those who make up my audience, which is essentially uh, those of you who struggle with faith or we're trying to figure your way through that paradigm. So, Tony, grateful to have you on today. Wondered if you might share just a little bit uh, about yourself, maybe, and share a little bit about how your story starts off. Yeah, well, um, I was born and raised in the church, and I've had all the typical uh, life or church experience, uh, experiences. I went to the primary, the youth program, and all that. Um, my family was very active. Both my parents are converts into the church, and um, Essentially, just uh, went through all the um, ups and downs of being raised in a really big city outside of Utah. For some reason, that's I've had people who actually ask me whether this is a Utah issue that I'm that I'm dealing with. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> so I, it's hey, I don't know. Um, but it, um, uh, but yeah, that's uh, pretty much um, down the line. Typical Mormon went on a mission, got married, uh, got sealed in the temple, had children. And then uh, that's when life got really interesting. Gotcha. So, so you had a traditional kind of growing up in the church, um, had spiritual experiences as a youth, so, like you say, served a mission, got married in the temple. 
where do things kind of start to get off track uh, for you? Well, they got off track really early in life. Um, I can still, I can even still picture um, that first uh, piece of pornography I saw when I was seven years old, uh, just laying there in the gutter. Uh, that was just utterly fascinating to me. Um, then later on, as I began, when I turned 10 years old, I, I was doing the paper out. I was all over the place, went to the uh, back of a liquor store to get um, some boxes. I look in the in the dumpster, and there was this bag full of pornography that I just took home, ate it up. And every month, without fail, there was another dozen or so magazines sitting in there. And that's what really, really clenched me in this whole pornography business. Um, it was, it's Home life was a bit on, was on the difficult side. Um, mom and dad were constantly stressed, and of course, us kids were the recipient of it, as would be in any other home, I, I assume. So I used that to deal with the uh, stresses of home, deal with the stresses of uh, um, actually being quite an unorthodox uh, family in the church. Um, my mother, my mother is uh, is not from the U.S., and so. We had a lot of issues dealing with kids growing up, uh, making uh, remarks about my mom. Uh, we, she was even refused callings in the in the Relief Society because she had an accent and people couldn't understand her. So it's it's, it's those kind of things that I that I had to work through. Gotcha. Um, See, so you had some some I don't want to say baggage, but but family life provided some trials and challenges. You you get hooked on pornography quite early, um, as you put it, kind of in your notes to me. You hit the proverbial gold mine. Um, I think sometimes people who do not struggle with pornography don't realize the the addictive nature that that can become. Um, so where'd you go from there? Well, from there I um, tried after getting into more and more harder stuff. Discovered after I was 18 years old, I can actually check out all these videos from the local video store back in the VHS days. Um, right. Was able to hold off uh, for two years while I went on my mission. But when I got back from my mission. That's when life just really, really became extremely difficult. Um, I tried the college thing, couldn't make it work because I had to kick myself into survival mode. Um, but I did, after some time, get married, tried to work things out uh, personally. Um, but yet, that after 10 years of marriage, I pretty much messed that up also. Gotcha. When we talk about um, pornography and the addiction that that is and the struggle that is for those who, who have that addiction, it, it, we often think, especially those who don't, have an understanding of, of how addictions work. People think, well, going on a mission will fix the problem or getting married will fix the problem. Um, any, any thoughts on why that's not the case or maybe sharing with listeners why we ought to think about that a little differently? Well, yeah. Um, one of the things I do right now is I'm a facilitator uh, in the church's ARP program. And in talking, in my own personal experience and talking to these other men, even dealing with group therapies um, for the last almost 10 years, Pornography and addiction is always trying to substitute and trying to calm the person down. And the one thing that is is always the one theme the, across all of them is control. They're trying to get control of something bad that has happened or is going on inside them, and so they turn to this external thing to try to try to gain some control. Um, which is why when you first if you watch those programs such as um, uh, uh, you know, trying to get somebody into a so sobriety program, they mm -hmm. start kicking and fighting because they want it their way. They become very used to be trying to get control of their life, uh, fighting it by themselves. They're not right. willing to let it go. So you get some something like pornography. The person uses it to deal with, to control the stresses in their life. All of a sudden, it's gone. 
what do they have left? This is why um, I I think that if, when people go on missions, we, we have that common story as well. I was into pornography and masturbation and all that, but then I was good on my mission because they had something there. They had something that they was able to control whatever demons are going on inside them, and that is being the full-time minister. They're constantly having these spiritual experiences. They're constantly praying. They're digging in, and they're studying. And then when they get off, it's all gone. You right. can literally feel that mantle um, being lifted from you. Right. Now you're wondering, what am I supposed to do? I'm I'm now by, my, by myself. I don't have a companion. I don't have a mission president. I'm constantly answering to I'm home. Um, I'm still too scared to date because I'm a missionary, and I'm just all supposed to be arm's length away. So I go back to what I what was familiar to me, and that is right. the pornography or the, the drugs or whatever, and that whole cycle starts starts right up again. Yeah, you, you know, you look at a mission, and a, and a mission keeps you busy. And I, I often found, as serving as a bishop and talking to people who had addictive behaviors, that that if one could stay busy, that the opportunities or temptations to do to make bad choices were were severely um, lessened. And yet, like you say, you come off the mission, you go right back to having all this free time. Uh, you're not constantly thinking about things of the gospel. You're not. You just go back to a normal life, and, and it gives a chance for those things to enter back in. So you struggled with pornography. You you get married. You said that that doesn't fix the issue either, right? That did not fix it one single bit. The only thing that marriage did was drag somebody else into my problems. Quite gotcha. frankly, um, gotcha. Yeah, I married a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, she had she already had a child from her first marriage, which she let me adopt, and we had uh, four more children after that. Um, but I still had all these demons I had to deal with. Um, it was that it was a, it was during that time period that everything became began to be really really intense, and I started diving deeper and deeper into pornography because I not only had the stress of me, I had the stress of all these children, I had the stress of a wife, I had the stress of a mortgage. All this stuff started piling up, and things just got just exponentially uh, worse for me. You, uh, like you say, you're in your marriage. That doesn't help at all. You're dragging somebody else into it. Where does your life go from there? I mean, what happens that uh, that kind of brings us to the the low point? Where where does the story go from there? Well, where the story goes is uh, I started taking night classes. Um, I be, I was the Mister Mom of, so I dealt with all the kids and potty training them and all that. Great, I loved it, and I believe that's the reason why I still have a good uh, relationship with my children, even though they're right now sixteen hundred miles away from me. Um, but I began. Um, very slowly at first, and it sped up breaking all my temple covenants. Gotcha. All of them. If there was a covenant that was made, I figured out a way how to break it, um, both legally, both illegally, um, every, every way you can think of it. Then after 10 years, um, it finally came to a head, and the legal system caught up with me. My wife became very tired of dealing with me, and um, uh, things just really – I had to go with my wife in front of a bishop, and had to admit to everything that I did. Right. And that, that had, pretty that much sealed it. Yeah, that had to have been hard to do. Um, when you say you, you looked, you know, you found ways to break every temple covenant, I mean, at this point in your life, are you are you seeking to break those covenants, or just because of the choices you're making, those happen to get broken in the process? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, kind of question I'm asking? Well, here's how, here's, here's how my, mind, how my, mind, uh, my mindset was. Now I'm in the marriage. I'm trying to figure out a way to to, um, to deal with all this. I'm I am the guy who would lock himself in his office for eight hours of the day and leave the kids out in the living room with a pile of Cheerios. That's how bad it got for me. Right. Um, so college, the young women there, the um, 
just really just just not paying attention to what it should have been important to me. So it wasn't that you were being intentionally rebellious. It's just that you were so deep in these problems, these this, these issues that consumed you, that along the way, Temple Covenants got broken, that that was an unfortunate consequence of you you and your struggle and the choices you were making. Yes, because at a very young age, all my boundaries as to what was appropriate got blown away. Gotcha. I was still stuck as, in the emotional state of a 10-year-old, basically. Gotcha. That's how. That's what I was thinking. I just needed to just for me, me, me. You know, make me feel good. Try to get my, try to calm my inner child down. And so the right. temple covenants all of a sudden became unimportant, almost non-existent. It didn't matter. That's not what I was thinking of. I was thinking of in a very selfish way. Me. Gotcha. So you, uh, this catches up with you. The legal system um, is after you for the choices that you've made. Mm-hmm. You go in to sit down with your bishop, uh, with your wife, with you. You have a conversation with him. I assume that ends with some type of church discipline. That ended with the bishop saying that I am going to need to refer this up to the stake president because by then I was already an elder. I already served in an elder's quorum presidency. Right. Um, and the just the the type and the number of offenses that I made that I did and left no choice. So the gotcha. uh, the state president had to kick had to had to come in. And one thing I will I will say about our, our state president at my state president at that time, um, one of the problems one one of the issues that I see uh, with the church is that it deals very very well with the sinner because we all teach faith repentance baptism you can get past your sin, but the victims are left out there somewhere with very little support, and what they get a lot of times is these victims will then move out of the world or they move closer to their family or they have to move somewhere else because there's right. a separation, and they they're somewhere where they where there is no support and they're. So I'm up here. I'm here still in my home ward. My wife was by then moved out with the kids somewhere else. But our state president was really, really good about pulling her in, talking to her, giving her the comfort and the guidance that she needed. And I thought that was to me, that was a really, really rare thing that happened. And it just made all the difference in the world for her because it was it it helped her get through all the the madness of what was happening and how much worse it was going to get. Yeah, you're right. We often look at the sinner and we want to get them back on the right path and be of be of help and stand in the place of the Savior with them. But we ought to also consider those who are affected by these decisions. So that's great that you had a state, great state president who did that. Uh, for my listeners who don't know, um, what Tony's talking about in regards to disciplinary councils, disciplinary council is generally held at the local level, at the ward or perhaps the branch. But what you'll find is that when priesthood is held by the person who committed a, a serious sin and the sin is serious enough that, that – that person's membership in the church might be affected at that point it automatically becomes something at the stake level so you go into a disciplinary council with your stake uh, presidency uh, members of the high council yep that how does that end <laughs> that was you know i've i've heard people say that these disciplinary councils that they felt the spirit it was wonderful i'm sorry i went in there i sat at the head of that table and i looked and three quarters of my of the high council were all attorneys and I knew this was not going to be easy. I felt no spirit whatsoever, but I spent. But what I did do was I apologized to them for having to drag them in there and deal with this. And right. they do ask specific questions as to, you know, what did you do? They want to know. And in the end, um, I was called back in, and I heard the one phrase that still to this day really, really affects me: "The spirit is grieved." That moment is when I when it really dawned on me that. I did. I 
I messed up so badly that it was the will of God himself that I'd be disciplined in this way. And I was eventually had my church membership taken away. So by this time, I have lost my church, my family. I've lost my marriage. I've lost my church membership. I was about to lose my freedom. I lost everything, my home, my material thing, everything I lost by then. And this is this was the consequence of the bad decisions that I made. So you realize that it's your decisions that have led to these consequences. It, it really hits you hard realizing that you have grieved the Spirit of the Lord. Your church membership uh, is taken away from you. And so I, I can only imagine you're at the absolute low of lows that, uh, that life oh, I haven't gotten there yet, believe it or not. I really? have not We're, yet low. low. There was still, I was so rebellious and, and uh, so had such an attitude. They were still further down I had to go. Where to go from there? Um, from there, I ended up uh, starting a group therapy with other people who were offend- who were offenders. This was a court or- something that was court ordered, essentially, or I a preemptive strike for the court, I should say, that my attorney got me into. Right. And I this is where the first time I met other guys who not only did what I did, but a whole lot worse. And it was right. um, very cathartic to be able to have a group of people where I can actually talk about what I did and not have any judgment come back to me. But so help right. me if I try to lie or I tried to uh, skirt the truth, they came right at me. So it, 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 re- it really forced me to, to face what, what I did. Mm-hmm. Then the court system caught up, the legal system caught up with me. Then I was put into the county list. And I spent, thankfully the judge miscounted, I spent 80 days in there. But 80, that 80 days was, like, there was an attempted suicide. I heard a crunch from a kid, from uh, another person getting their head stomped on. Um, there were fights. I mean, this is a big city jail. All kinds of really bizarre stuff happened. The sheriffs come in and uh, clear us out. I started, uh, stole a lot of stuff uh, from the guys. And uh, I myself was attacked twice. But even in that, even in that jail, well, I say not even, in that jail is what really started me feeling the influence of God. There's gotcha. really strange things for it to happen. Um, I felt impressions. I felt... Uh, impressions of what was going to happen, which came to, which, which came to pass. I felt really strongly as I was in the bus going to the jail, I would only be attacked twice. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, but, that's where, but that's where it started where, you know, yeah, okay, I can still, I, I still can feel this, there's a spirit out there that I can still feel and listen to that would guide me. Once I was released from jail, that is when I started going down even further. Um, I was not going to church. I had no contact with anyone from the church. My, I signed the papers. My wife, I'm now fully divorced. My kids are now somewhere else away from me. I am now a registered sex offender, and I am now a pariah of society. And I ended up sitting at one moment in my apartment just absolutely hating life, hating myself, hating everything, hating everybody, and surrounded by darkness, by evil, and I felt it. It was there. It wasn't one of those that, yeah, I heard the voice of, of Satan laughing at me. It was a really, really deep, deep dark feeling that I, that I felt. So, so you're finally realizing you're in a place where you don't want to be. Exactly. There was only, and, only two, there was only two directions to go. There was either I would turn left, go down even further to the darkness where, I, where that would have been comfortable for me, but would have led to my death, spiritual and physical death. Or I could have turned right and done something that I didn't know if I can trust. I've never been there. Pray, pray to God, and then he'd answer me. 
at at that point, there were a lot of voices in my head telling me that that would be the wrong way to go. But I thought, what the heck? <laughs> Nothing else is working. I want to get out of this. What do I do? So I did. At that moment, I did kneel down, and I, three words, Father, help me. And he did. And he did. I reached out, and somebody grabbed hold of me. But it didn't. That, but that wasn't the. All of a sudden, I was clean. I was perfect. I was ready to go. It, that was the beginning of a lot of years of trying to put myself back together again. Right. We often hear in the scriptures we we see Alma the younger, even Alma the elder, for that matter, uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, and there's this instantaneous type of change. And yet, we don't realize that that's the exception to the rule. That generally speaking. Uh, God may just just turn us to face a different direction, and then it's a long time of heading that way, slowly making our way back with with missteps and mistakes along the way. Um, so, so you hit this low of lows. You have this spiritual moment where you realize that you are you're in a place you no longer want to be. You turn to Heavenly Father. You feel a spiritual uh, um, presence of Him there helping you. Um, where do you go from there? I mean, what how do you how do you go from that point uh, to where you are today? Yeah. Well, if I can uh, make one comment of uh, the comments that Jesus made. Um, everybody, you read through the scriptures, everybody, and I believe everybody in the world, all get one, one big, huge trial that they have to deal with. And one of my favorite scriptures is uh, with Amalekai. When he went and when he was called by the angel to preach and he saw all of his people being killed by the, by, the, by the evil, people who did not want the church to succeed, he was jailed, he was beaten, everything. But he still stood with Alma and preached. And there's a scripture at the end of one of the verses, and it's, and it's always missed because you have to flip that page to get that one verse on the top. And it's after the city is destroyed, and uh, that's paraphrasing, Alma took Malachi into his home and helped him through his grief, helped him through his um, uh, trials. Right. Even after seeing all those miracles, he still had to deal with um, with all the changes that are happening. He had to deal with his family's loss. He lost all all his earthly stuff. He's lost everything. Even though he, he saw the spirit, he had this. He had he spoke in prophecy. He still had to deal with that. And that, to me, that's what everybody's got to deal with. So that's why I kind of see myself as still being a typical person. Um, I still had to deal with all the trials and had to. That I believe is is what um, was a catalyst and was and affected the real change in me. So I go from there. Um, I started attending church little by little. Um, I was a, I would be the guy in the back in out in the foyer with the big angry frown in his face because I didn't want anybody coming close to me, uh, feeling that I was still unworthy to cross that threshold to go into the chapel. And I did that for a long time. And I would be there in my tennis shoes, my jeans, and my t-shirt because that's who I was. I was Mr. Tough Guy Rebellious. Don't don't mess with me. It took. About it. it took a year and a half of that before I felt comfortable enough to cross into the chapel and actually sit with the rest of the congregation. Doing that, that moment was a really, really strange feeling for me. Because by that time, I was already shut down. Feelings, none. I'm sitting there and I'm feeling this light and this goodness. And these people who are still coming up to me, shaking my hand, saying, you know, good to see you. It's good to have you here. It's like, boy, if you only knew... And I think right. I think most of them did, but yet they still they still were quite very kind to me. The ward that I came into was is a very, very warm and caring ward, and uh, boy, I was mean to a lot of them. Um, but they let me. But 
they forgave me of all that, except for a few. I did go to sit out with the bishop, and I did have the bishop tell me there's some people here who have concerns about you being in this church, basically saying they don't want you to come to the meetings. My answer, where was I going to go? Right. No matter what congregation I went to, I would still come up with these problems. I still run into this. I think this, that somebody did an Internet search, and they found my face on the, on the, on the registry. Right. And uh, they didn't want me there. No, yeah. I've run into that a couple times myself where we would have somebody coming back to church or visiting their family in the ward, and somebody would become aware of the fact that this person was on a, on, on a list on the Internet for, for some crimes, sexual crimes and things that they had done. And there are members who will balk at any participation that person tries to make, and yet I try to sit and think, you know, sure, there are going to be people who make those steps who at some point are going to fall down again. But at the same time, too, I know from like Alma chapter 5 that the Savior's arms are always extended to us. And at some point, we've got to allow people to repent and to come back. And if they're not welcome at church, then, then where are they welcome at? They've got to have a place to call home. And so it sounds like over this long period of time, you, you start to soften up. You start to uh, feel the Spirit. Are you, are you doing things in your personal life? Are you reading scriptures? Are you praying? Are you, are you doing those kinds of things? Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to do that. Um, that was still a period of time when I would go to my therapist, to my bishop, and I would say flat out, I don't want to give up pornography. I'm not ready to do that. Right. Because um, I had nothing to substitute for it. So th- there was still me trying to change, fundamentally change me and how I deal and look and um, you know, how, trying to live in, in my own skin. It, you want to change life, but you want to do it your way. My way. Still in right. control. Still like me. I know what right. I need. Don't tell me. Um, I started uh, realizing that I that this was not going to be an automatic thing. I had to really, really start to work at it, and that's when, um, to the uh, to the bane of some of my friends, I started getting Mormon Tabernacle Choir CDs, awesome. BYU uh, choir, choir CDs. Um, I stopped listening to. Uh, I I love classic rock. You put it on some uh, uh, ZZ Top or. Um, or the, uh, that kind of stuff. I, I'm I'm good. I used to blast it in my in my uh, when I drive my kids around when they were babies. And to this day, they when I when I put on some Stevie Miller, they're like, oh yeah, I know this one. Right. Um, I, I I cut all that out. And what that what I noticed with that is that fast beat music got my mind racing, and I couldn't yep. slow it down. So when I started li- so doing the Mormon dot uh, org the uh, the live this live streaming uh, the, the church's live streaming radio mm-hmm. and all this other music all of a sudden I was able to ramp my mind down and I was able to uh, you know when I read the scriptures it wasn't a gee this is boring can I get out of this I can actually think about what I was reading there, awesome. it wasn't in the way and that's when I slowly started to turn away from the pornography it still took a lot of years but. But I was, but I was on the road striving to get away from it, and that's what I, to me, is what's important. Um, when I close out uh, the, as a facilitator, I uh, conduct the sharing time in the meetings, and when I close them out, I always tell the guys, "Don't forget that this is not a sprint; it's not even a marathon; it's a journey." And one of the one of the key um, um, habits of a godly people is that we quickly repent. Right. If you want that disposition to not do evil, if you want to know if you have it, well, just think, if you if you slip up and you get into the pornography 
and you hate it and you repent of it, guess what? You now have the disposition to not do evil. Right. Um, and that's, that is the road that I started going down. I, I started being able to see that I did something wrong and repent. And even at times, the more powerful moments for me is after I know I messed up, I would go kneel down next to my bed and I would just stay kneeling. Um, that's how I learned humility. Not saying anything, just putting myself before God within the attitude of, I am so sorry. I, why can't I not get through this? And there were some very powerful comforting feelings that, that would hit me whenever I did that. Awesome. You know, you speak to a lot of wonderful things. One is the whole idea that the gospel isn't about necessarily a list of accomplishments, but rather the striving and struggling and the pressing forward and the, the continual repentance and the continually moving along the path. You also spoke about the spiritual influence of music, and I think all too too many of us as Latter-day Saints, we kind of listen to what we want to, and, and we think in the back of our heads that we have complete control over how our mind works, and yet we don't realize that even in music that is not necessarily vulgar, just the speed of the tempo even can inflect, uh, can uh, change the way we think about things. So you begin uh, having spiritual experiences, you're, you're slowly humbling yourself, turning yourself back to to Christ and to the gospel, help me make the jump now from beginning on this little path upward to a place today where you are are close to uh, rejoining the church, correct? Um, yes. <laughs> when in fits and starts, yes. Um, yeah. there, a, a couple of things that happened is um, what the first thing was um, at the um, request of my stake president, I sat down with the missionaries and went through the missionary lessons. Great. You, you talk about uh, when missionaries go out and all of a sudden there's that one that they were supposed to help. I was the one for these guys. They, these guys were – they were my missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, these two guys are, are the two missions that would have reached, that reached me where no other missionary did. And so we sat down with the lesson, uh, did the lessons. And uh, at one, one of the lessons we read through um, uh, King Benjamin's um, uh, sermon – Mm-hmm. And we spoke about the conscience of peace. Now, to, up to that point, I was still still at the habit of you know uh, read uh, a a, uh, a Robert Millet book or go on my computer and let's go look at some girly pics. I was still my 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 feeling was to go to the girly pics. I had to force myself to go read these good books. Right. I was still haunted by the guilt of what I did to my marriage, what I what I did to my wife, what I did to my children of the swath of destruction that I left behind. And I was sitting there listening to these guys telling me about this conscience of peace, and I started yelling at them. <laughs> I, put, I brought one of these poor missionaries to tears because I was ticked off. Why can't I have that? Mm-hmm. I went from there straight home, and I knelt down, and now I'm now, I'm now yelling at the Lord. I've come back to church. I'm reading my scriptures. I'm doing my best to stay away from pornography. I'm doing. I'm trying my best to do everything that I felt is right. That you tell. That you told me is right. Following the counsel of my bishop, my state president. Why can't I have this consciousness of peace? And that's when he gave it to me. That moment, I I just knelt there for at least five minutes and just enjoyed the warmth, the light of. Um, of God as he just poured out his love right on me. And that very moment was when I changed from having the predilection of trying to look and doing bad things to look and doing good things. That is where my, that is where my fundamental change really happened. And from there, I began to look at pornography less and less and less. It got more and more active in church. 
even to the point where I was given a state calling. And that forced me even further out of my shell because I not only had not only I, I, I broke that veil of only dealing with the people in my ward. I was now going all over the stake and I was making friends and t- talking to people all over the stake. And one of the things you got to you need to understand with a person who's been excommunicated, who all of a sudden has a stake level calling, he's going to a high priest or a clerk or somebody and saying, this is what needs to be done. It's really intimidating. But yet that's what I that's what I needed to do. The state presidency would ask me for uh, suggestions. My word, I'd give it to them. So I got access to the state presidency. I had access to all these people. So when it came time for my, um, well, for, when it came time for the first time, my uh, state president wanted to uh, put hold a another uh, hearing to bring him back in the church. It was almost comedic because I slipped down the path pretty far, and I got involved with someone that I shouldn't have. And so it, it it was it was it was almost great. I'm sitting in the state president's office, laughing my head off because I cannot believe what life I'm leading. I'm confessing this to him after he said, "Okay, we need to get you with the high council," telling him, "No, I can't." And I'm looking at him, and I can know that he wants to jump across that desk, bludgeon me, and baptize for the dead. He just absolutely was 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 fit to be died. He couldn't believe I did that, but I was still in. I discovered what I discovered from that experience is that I was still trying to get companionship. It was still a right. weakness of mine. Right. A year and a half later, or a year later, I'm now ready to go before the high the high council. Um, up to that time, that was the biggest spiritual experience I have ever had. Was going with my bishop in front of the high council and answering to them, which is answering to God, about what my repentance was and how I've changed. Neat. A uh, couple of questions. You mentioned having this this assignment or calling at the stake level. Now you're not you're not a member of the church at this time. No, I am not. That, that, but they gave you some kind of responsibility uh, within the stake level. Yes, they did. Um, they made me the um, they made me the assistant stake technology specialist. Awesome. Um, I, I when my the first president when the first counselor interviewed me for this, I I knew they were going to throw my name in there. I knew I wasn't going to get it. I'm an excommunicated guy. Right. What are they going to give it to me for? State president sits me, the, the first counselor sits me down and says, we uh, discuss as a presidency. We put it for the high council. We all agree. We want to extend this calling to you. I That's was just quiet. I just like, um, and I reminded him, you know, you know, I'm not a typical non-member. I'm a non-member who's been excommunicated. He sat back, thought about it. Well, we discuss this as a state presidency and high council. We still want to extend this calling to you. What do you right. say? Right. So yes, and that was it. Has, that was the that was a really big blessing to be able to do that. And that was instrumental in in your uh, rehabilitation. Your working for re, yeah, and regaining faith. Yes, it was be- awesome because I had. It may sound silly, um, but when you sit in front of a computer um, that belongs to the Lord and it, it's behaving badly and you need to fix it, um, I found out very early that just just uh, leaving it to my own devices it not only not always worked. <laughs> Right. So oh, I had right. to reach out and I had to be prayerful, even even working on a computer. Sure. Um, but I also had what I consider the keys of the kingdom. There wasn't a door I couldn't open in this day. Mm-hmm. When I when I first got the calling, I abused it because I was still very much um, Mr. Big Guy, Mr. Rebellious. You know, I'm pretty much out there. The first counselor actually had to come to me and take my key away, and he chastised me. Six months later, he came and he handed the key back to me, and chastised me and warned me and I was much more humble uh, because of it and I and I began to realize the church does, does things a lot differently than I would 
the church does things very thoughtfully, methodically, and you just don't go in there and, you know, go into a clerk's office, go into their computer without letting them know. There's a diff, there's a definite uh, procedure that the church has laid down that they, that they become very good at, uh, at figuring out. Right. So now I'm starting to do things the way the church wants things done. Um, I still have that calling. Still great. I mean, it, it, I still have access. But um, one of the things I wanted to point out, before the hearing, um, I read in the, um, I was reading in Alma when um, Alma essentially he's chastising his son Coriathan, I believe, mm-hmm. who went out to with uh, with the Jezebel the uh, Harlot. Jezebel the Harlot. Yeah. And I know this is really bad, but I thank goodness that he did that because we got some really really wonderful stuff from uh, from from Alma talking to his son about that. And one right. of the um, um, one of the uh, points that he told them was. We're going to be restored to what we were. And those who repent, no matter what they've done, will be restored to being that person who repented. Which one, pretty much throwing the question out there, so who do you, which one do you want to be? You want to be restored sure. to that person who still wants to do bad things or that person repented? And that really struck me because up to that point, I was still in my primary lesson. We have this checklist. You've got to be good at this, 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 and then you make it to the celestial kingdom. Right. I, um, I went and grabbed the, the uh, one of the counselors because they knew me. I had access. Sat him down and frustratingly said, "What is this? What does the high council want? What am I supposed to do? I mean, I don't understand this scripture at all." And that's when I learned that life is not a checkpoint. Check is you are not going to be we're di- not going to die. Go up to the pearly gates of St. Peter and hand the guy our resume. Right. It's not the way it works. It's about attitude. It's about um, are we going to are we going to develop an attitude where we're going to com- continually repent and try to strive to do better or not? Because if we're not, we're not going to make it. But if we do, even though we're going to go through this life and still be imperfect when we die, we're still going to be able to, we're still going to make it. Right. Yeah, that's great. You know, you mentioned Robert Millet earlier and, and brother Millet works with the evangelical community to try to uh, help out with the dialogue between our faith and theirs. And in one of his discussions with uh, some evangelical uh, church members at a college, he says that he was in a conversation with a, a couple of evangelical ministers, and they're in a restaurant sitting down, and he was drawing on a napkin the plan of salvation. And he says uh, right afterward, one of the ministers asked him, he said, you know, Robert, this really boils down to one question. He says, when you get to the other side, and God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? And as a Mormon, our, our natural tendency is to want to say, well, because I, I went to the temple, and I did my home teaching, and I... <laughs> I, uh, uh, I magnified my callings, and I had family home evening, and I said my prayers both morning, day, and night, and over my meals. And Brother Millet asked, at this point, he goes to a LDS uh, fireside the next night, and he asks these kids, he tells them the story, and he asks them, he says, what would you have answered him with? And then after a pause, he says, my answer to them was by the merits, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ. And uh, I love your story. You talk about how the church trusted you. They gave you a calling. They trusted you. You talk about having your key taken away and given back, and I thought about Martin Harris and Joseph and the 116 pages lost, and Joseph has the plates taken away and, and given back and how that humbled him. And you talk about how having your key given back to you after a six-month span humbled you. And I just – I listen to your story, Tony, and I know lots of members out there struggle, and I know they have hard times, and I know sometimes we think of church as a checklist, the gospel as a checklist. I think in so many ways as you tell your story, you hit on so many different uh, gospel principles you're now to a point where you're ready to get rebaptized. Uh, you've I, I, obviously you've been clean from pornography for some time uh, in that in that process. Um, would you mind just kind of finishing off this interview by sharing with us your testimony? 
My testimony. My testimony is that probably the biggest lesson I learned is that the gospel is simple. It really is. Um, it's us being here as mortals that really complicate and muck up the work just be just by nature of um, of the fallen who we are. Sure. Basically, what we're what we're learning is we're learning to um, get rid of this rebellious spirit that we all have just by nature mm-hmm. being born. We're learning to learn how to listen to the spirit, and we're learning to discipline ourselves to act on the spirit. That's basically what it amounts to. What's the spirit telling us? The spirit is trying to tell us that, as it has um, witnessed to me, Jesus is the Christ. The atonement is real. You, when you talk, if you want to change, the only way to do it is through the atonement. We can't do that on our own. We're not strong enough as mortals. We need right. an outside force to to change who we are. That's what happened to me. This is why I can go from sitting in a in a uh, ARP meeting and growling at everybody to now I look at them as like I love them all. Mm-hmm. I would never thought that would have happened years ago. Christ in the atonement changed me, and what really gets me is that it was actually the will of my Father in heaven who created the universe, everything created me, created this earth, that it was actually His will to do that to me. I, I am. An individual to him. He deals with me as an individual. I'm counted. I belong to him. And that really matters to me. I love this church. I love this church. This church has the full gospel. I love this gospel. This gospel is the gospel of life, of freedom. I love, love uh, the atonement. The atonement changed me. And just recently, a I mean, you, you caught me where this past Sunday I was rebaptized. Awesome! I'm a member of the church again, nine and a half years. I this next 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 coming Sunday, I get to take the sacrament for the first time in nine and a half years. My word, that's a big moment for me. How exciting! So yeah, so my testimony, my testimony is I am a witness of the goodness of God to change people, to make people much better, to to uh, to put us on the path where we can reach our eternal potential. You know, they say the um they say that uh, straight is the way and narrow is, is is the path to eternal life. It's a straight line and very few will find it. I believe that one way to one interpretation of that is, is because it's so doggone simple. It's a straight line. There's no detours and no accidents, no mountain road. It's a straight line. It is just a simple, simple repent, be baptized, endure to the end, have faith, learn to trust in God. Learn to listen to your own inner spirit that you had from even from before the earth was even made that wants you to re, that wants to return back to God, and you will make it. Awesome, His grace truly is sufficient, and uh, and I love you tied in very well one of my favorite scriptures from Ether twelve twenty seven, which is that God gives unto us weakness that we might be humble, and if we humble ourselves, then He He the Savior makes our weaknesses strengths. I'm grateful, Tony, to have you on today. Tony's blog can be found at Reconverted. Dot org, correct? Yes. Awesome. Tony, thank you for being on the program today. Thank you.
say what 